If we can't talk to each other, we're not gonna make it. Sometimes I feel like I, I've, I've been off more than I can chew. Most of the time, I work in a glass jar and lead a very uneventful life. A face full of glass hurts like hell when you're in it. That's weird. That glass looks half full to me. Eating glass. Eating glass and staring into the abyss. Glass? Who gives a shit about glass? Who the fuck is this? It's kind of part of our culture to eat glass. Hey, get some safety goggles next time. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome to Chewing Glass, the show where we talk to developers building in the Solana ecosystem. Today we have a guest who's not actually a developer, but I would probably consider him a heavy glass chewer. We'll get into more of that here in a little bit. Uh, we have Brian Long from Triton One. Many of you who know Solana ecosystem well know who he is. He's pretty much a legend in, in many circles. Um, he also runs a validator block logic uh, for the Solana ecosystem. So let's get started. Brian, how you doing, man? Great, great. Thanks, Chase. It's great to see you again. I know. Like I think I think I, I started here a little bit over two and a half years ago. And like in that beginning time, I went and visited Boulder when there was a Solana Foundation or um office out there and I met you and I remember having a good conversation and like obviously um we've been pretty close uh friends ever since, at least when we do see each other. Um, we live in two different worlds, uh, pretty much. So, uh, the way we start this show out is, is really to try to get to know our guests. You're not an engineer, so, but we'll, we'll sort of get into like why I would consider you a glass chewer because like hard problems are, are hard to solve. So just like, let's start it from the very beginning. Like, like as far back as you want to go, like, how did you like, you're in the Solana ecosystem now, there's obviously like a large chunk of information and history that happened there but like where'd you get started like where you did you go to school for like computer information systems or you like and something completely did you live in boulder like maybe you were at a rock climbing and like that was your start i don't know but like how how this whole thing get rolling yeah my uh business background so uh my undergrad degree was in business i have an mba uh, both from the university of minnesota uh i'm originally from minnesota and we moved to uh, Colorado in 2006. Um, so yeah, even though I'm a business guy and I've got an MBA, I'm not a suit. Um, <laughs> I did learn to code along the way, um, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty decent with uh, Ruby on Rails, you know, so the Web two stack. Um, and uh, but I wouldn't consider myself an engineer. So I, I think it's fair game that uh, you say I'm not an engineer. Um, so anyway, yeah, so business background, and then uh, my wife and I started a company in 2003, a data gathering company in the U.S. Uh, we still own that today, and uh, my wife runs that business, and uh, then I, you know, I do some of the blockchain stuff. Cool. So MBA, started a business, so there, there, there's a probably a huge, still a huge gap in between there and like when you first discovered crypto, so like Let's let's talk a little bit about like that journey into um, that data gathering company, and then like how you sort of like got into tech um, versus just the business side. Just like just like walk us along the sort of story. Yeah, yeah. Because when we started our business, it's a real estate data gathering business in the U.S., and we read all the real estate for sale ads in the country. And in order to start that business, I had to learn how to write code. 
So it was uh, basically me, a laptop, my cell phone, and a Wi-Fi account, free Wi-Fi at Starbucks. And uh, learning how to write, uh, back then it was PHP, um, and learning how to crawl the web and uh, build uh, crawlers and stuff like that. So um, that's how I started to make the transition from just being an MBA dude to, uh, you know, to being somebody who's more tech savvy. So were you building um, aggregator and, uh, websites mm-hmm. in real estate? Was it like, like, ag- like, um, real estate aggregation? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We were building bots, uh, to go and crawl the web. Um, and back then the, not even all the data was online. So actually a data entry clerks that, um, would, uh, we'd take the Sunday newspaper with the real estate for sale ads and we'd have data entry clerks that would start keying out the data. And now that's all online. Um, so, uh, you know, we don't have the data entry clerks anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, so way back then in the early days of the web, we were, we were writing bots to, uh, go out and crawl and gather data. Yeah. Wow. You had somebody open up a newspaper and enter the for sale. That's probably a little bit harder to like know when a sale would I like the aggregators today can go and like check on website when like a, a sale was closed so you can immediately remove it. That had to be manually done. You had to go and check to see if this was a yeah. stale. Was it sold? Was it not? Is it still exists? So that sounds like yep. not yeah, a yeah. lot of fun. No, no. Yeah. Things were different <laughs> back then. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's still, um, you still do that today. So like what, like, where'd you go from there? Like with that business and, and the rest of your career? Yeah, you know, so that business is doing well. Um, my wife runs it right now, and um, the I, I'm engaged a little bit, but honestly, she runs the day-to-day of that business. And then I'm focused on all the crypto business for BlockLogic and for Triton One. Right. But through that process, that's where I learned how, you know, Web2 programming, uh, Ruby on Rails and all that. Um, and, uh, so started to build, you know, enough of a tech background that when I first heard of Bitcoin, um, that I thought, Hey, this sounds really cool. I want to get interested in what's going on there. So, but like, even be- before that, what the, um, like did, were you just an entrepreneur with that one business leading up all the way until this time where you like heard about Bitcoin or was there some other stuff there? Um, yeah, well, we started that business in 2003, um, and that was the only thing I did. Before that, I was working for another company, um, and we we sold the division that I was running uh, to LexisNexis, and then I started the data company. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you know, so we were you know entrepreneurs just uh, out doing our thing, and um, a good successful business that we still own today, um, and along with uh, the other ones. So yeah, okay. So you just, so you made, you just sort of alluded to like hearing about Bitcoin, like tell me when that was and like, without going too far, like what were your, when was it? Like, what were your thoughts, um, on like the whole idea of, of what was going on there at that time? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So it was early, man. Uh, it was late 2009, early 2010. And, uh, I was solo mining Bitcoin on a CPU um, the, the code for, uh, using, uh, GPUs wasn't even out yet. There were no ASICs at the time. Um, and, uh, yeah, started messing around really early. Um, well, Bitcoin was I, worth I was, nothing at that mm-hmm. point in time. So yeah, why did you don't do remind it? me? <laughs> 
Yeah, I um because I thought the tech was interesting and that there could be something interesting there. And for me, that was enough of a reason to mess around with it. Um, it was sufficiently nerdy that, you know, hey, I got to try this and see what's going on. So, yeah, I feel like at that time, though, like, so 2008, what was I like? 2009. 2009 yeah. I was like yeah. 23 at the time, and I still hadn't quite heard about it. I think it was in a couple of years until I heard about it. But like, I don't know if I had heard about it in 2009, even though I wasn't like a computer nerd my whole life, like CIS degree and everything. If I would have like, Having the, I feel like a lot of people that were that early, like the foresight that's required is like pretty hard to have. You know, there was obviously a lot, but I wasn't one of those people. So it's pretty cool to hear that you were just, you were interested enough in that to think like, Hey, there's, there's something here. I'm going to like have a bunch of equipment and actually mine this thing. That's what, what was the early days? Like fraction, like pennies? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was crazy. Uh, ridiculously cheap. Um, the, um, and it, it was cool. I mean, okay, I'm making some Bitcoin and that's cool. It wasn't a lot of money. Um, and I had formed some impressions at the time, which I, I, I think I was both right and wrong. And I'll just admit when I was wrong, cause there, there were definitely some things that I was wrong about, but there were also some things that I was right about. Um, and uh, I remember telling some friends at the time that Bitcoin is too slow to be internet money. And that's how it was being sold at the time. So at the time, people were saying, hey, you can go into a coffee shop and you can buy coffee with Bitcoin. And it's like, yeah, 10 transactions per second. No, that's not going to, this is not internet money. Um, you know, come on. And, um, the uh, so I, and I still think I was right that that's just not an appropriate use for Bitcoin, and uh, so then the narrative changed to where Bitcoin was now digital gold, and you yeah. should you should hold it, um, and that's where I was wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, the uh, I was wrong in the second narrative. Um, I don't hold a lot of Bitcoin today. Um, I wish I did, but uh, that that was uh, anyway. That was my impression at the time. Um, both both the right and the wrong. And you did that, so you did the mining and just like stayed interested in it for how long um, before like you moved on to whatever the next thing was for you, like in in the crypto. Let's yeah, let's not. I don't want to go too far too fast, but like you, you, how long did you like play around with Bitcoin before you like discovered something else that was like really interesting to you? Yeah, you know, I I stayed engaged or just aware of what was happening in crypto. Um, I watching Ethereum, watching Bitcoin, things like that, but not really serious about it um, until about 2018, I think. Um, when a when a really good friend of mine told me about Solana and and what the guys were building, and he did his best to explain proof of history to me wasn't the best job, but it was enough that I got interested, right? It's like, hey, that's what I've been looking for this whole time. Um, that I, you know, I want speed. If we're going to have internet money, I need layer one speed. This is interesting. So for me, yeah, the story kind of skips from Bitcoin um, to Solana, uh, 2018, 2019. And so like during that gap time, you're just running your other business and still like mining bitcoin or did you sort of eventually just like did, did you mine it through that whole entire period yeah yeah i did a little i mean it wasn't a big mine by any stretch um, right. it was i would just call it dab dabbling 
Um, but yeah, I had the miners running until probably 2017 um, when I finally just shut those down. Okay. So I heard about Solana interested in this tech like the were a lot of times we like we do these podcasts and somebody has like a really long story but yours is sort of interesting you like have this successful business um that that you when your wife ran but also mine bitcoin and then like flash forward you're like oh cool ethereum and then like oh wow cool solana even though the guy that you're talking about did a bad job of explaining it so then what you like did you go deep, like, or where did where did you even find information? Like, did you see like the the eight core innovations like articles of Tolly, or like how did you dive into understanding what the hell was happening in Solana? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, when he told me about it, I said, okay, that's what I've been looking for this entire time. You know, how do I get involved? And the way for me to get involved was to volunteer uh, to bring up a validator. And uh, so my engagement was Discord. Um, that's how I got started first. Um, yeah, I read the white paper. Yeah, the you other went to the stuff, website honest- though, found the Discord link, went in there, and you saw um, like a couple. Um, I, I won't name them on on the internet because like they'll hate me for talking about them publicly. But you met some of our <laughs> uh, core protocol trolls that uh, welcomed you with open arms. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but like yes. you had the you so you. You were doing data collection at that other business. So like the validator thing, like did did you know anything about that at all at the time when you like sort of jumped into Discord? I knew nothing, but the cool part was nobody else knew anything either. Yeah. <laughs> we were all learning at the same time, right? Greenfield. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, the devs were still learning. And um, so the uh, the community was extremely accepting and em- embracing and helpful and you know I um, you know Dan Albert was so patient you know explaining to everybody how this stuff <laughs> was going to work the rest of the guys were super patient um, and that's what it took right is just everybody kind of learning this stuff together and um, so I, I still look back at those days um, and I always just laugh right I, I, and we we all had great smiles uh, good laughs at the time. Um, we're great friends now. I'm curious to hear like who will, who will, like not not the core like protocol guys, but like the other like Brian Longs like in those early days. Like who was it? Like how many other sort of people like you did you find like when you first got in there? Was it like five? Was it twenty? Was it like was it fifty? Like what did that look like in those well, early days? I mean, there were maybe a couple dozen back then. This was before Testnet, right? Um, yeah, so yeah. we were just doing dry runs and, uh, there were maybe a couple dozen validators. Um, uh, um, Smith, Mr. Smith, uh, he's, he's, uh, Anon. um, uh, we've gotten to be great friends in person, in real life. Um, we've, we've met up several times. We're great friends, uh, staking facilities, uh, also great friends, Wolfgang and those guys. Um, let's see the, the Lunar Nova team. Uh, Leo Schabel, uh, when he was with Certus, then Jump. Um, again, yeah, we you know we all helped each other out. Uh, there may have been some arguing, or not not, not even arguing, <laughs> debating. You know, it's, it's it, it, you can't have crypto without a debate. Well, you um, can't have solve, and, you can't uh, have engineers yeah. without a debate because we all know that there's egos all over the place <laughs> in that world. <laughs> I love hearing these. <laughs> I love hearing. I love hearing these origin stories, though, like how everybody sort of got their intro into here. So you jumped in to the Discord. 
you like you made some friends. Nobody really knew what the hell Solana was yet, including the people building it or what it was going to be. And then you're sort of just like yep. working together. And you again didn't have those tech skills, but you want to run a validator. Did you like start working with those guys to understand all that shit from the ground up, or did you like hire somebody? to be like your technical liaison for you as you sort of like made your way into becoming a validator? Um, great question. So back then, I could do it myself. Um, and back then, I could run a node on DigitalOcean. Um, and it was pretty straightforward for me to run a node. And uh, the, the administrative overhead wasn't real big. Um, that did change over time. And uh, so when uh, the network started to run faster and faster and faster, and uh, we couldn't keep up anymore with uh, virtual cloud nodes, we right. had to be on bare metal. And that's the point where I needed help. And um, so uh, Linus Kendall, who's now one of our co-founders at Triton, um, is the guy who helped me out. And uh, so he's a, he's a systems admin whiz, a network engineer, at a, you know, at a global standard, the guy's amazing. He was working for me at the data company and, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So it was, um, uh, he was a contractor and, uh, so he was helping me out and I said, Hey, I'm, I've got this thing that I've been messing around with. It's getting really interesting. It's also getting really hard and I need your help. So, um, and, uh, so yeah, so now today, um, I mean, if I were to give advice to people who, are thinking about starting a validator. Um, my advice would be to think as that you're going to need a team in all likelihood. Um, yeah. and you need one person who's really good with uh, Linux system administration. You need somebody who's good in the BD side. Um, maybe the two of you can do it alone. Maybe you need a third, uh, to help out. Um, there are some exceptional cases where uh, we've, you know, some fantastic validators that uh, can manage to do kind of everything on their own. Um, and uh, the, they're amazing people. I would say they're the exception, not the rule. Right. Um, so for most people, you know, you should think about if you're going to start a validator, think about doing it as a team. All right. Well, let's let's jump back and like talk about some some more origin story stuff. So somebody you were working with who was really smart you're like hey they're cranking up the speed was this like was this before testnet during like was this one mainnet was live like at that point in time like where where were you at that stage when you had to pull in somebody that was um a lot smarter with devops and and that sort of infrastructure mainnet Mainnet? Yeah, mainnet. So we uh dry runs piece of cake um the uh those were fun days too. I mean, that that's kind of a fun origin story because, you know, we'd have a couple, I forgot how many exactly, maybe a couple dozen validators and we'd bring up the cluster. And then Michael Vines had a little tool that he called Rampy. And uh, so he would bring out Rampy to play and then Rampy would just slowly escalate the number of transactions that it was sending to the cluster. And uh, so uh, eventually Rampy would knock over the cluster. And then uh, we'd learn a bunch of stuff, submit our logs. Uh, the engineers would go back, rework the software, fix some stuff. And then we'd do it again, another dry run, bring it up, out comes Rampy, um, knock it over. And we'll rinse and repeat, right? It just keep doing this until one day Rampy came out and didn't knock it over. 
And uh, so then we just said, hey, that's TestNet. And that's how TestNet was born. Well, 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 ram- those rampy days taught you about the real days over the past couple of years. Well, maybe they didn't quite prepare you for the for the <laughs> the, the, the real um, pager duty uh, middle of the night calls. But I mean, like, that's pretty nope. cool to hear. That's how like you guys were doing yeah. it, like at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, but it was mainnet when things started to get difficult. Um, and it was probably about the time that, uh, serum, uh, was being built and coming in and we were starting to get some traction. And complex, some complex trend, complex transactions. When we're talking about not simple transfers, we're talking about complex DeFi transactions that like not every case is, uh, necessarily, uh, handled whenever you start to get into that world. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The load was different. Everything was different. And, uh, there was another guy in the discord that was extremely helpful. Um, and he had come in about mainnet, uh, Marco Bruken, uh, from Holland. And, uh, he's now also the third co-founder of Triton one. And Marco was super helpful on the DevOps side. And, um, the, I, I think Marco quite honestly has tuned more Solana servers than anybody in the ecosystem. Um, and uh, just incredible experience. And so he, uh, at that time when things were getting hard, uh, Marco was also there to help out. So, and just for the listeners, what did, what do you mean by tuning, um, servers? Solana requires bare metal, um, because it, and it also takes a very skilled technician because you do end up tuning some of the CPU cores, which might be saying, okay, we're going to, we need to run at a certain frequency. So we might, uh, if we've got 32 cores on a CPU, we might actually take that down to 24 cores so that we can increase the clock speed on those cores as opposed to 32. Um, Without getting overly technical, um, that's the kind of, uh, uh, tuning that's required is, um, going in, looking at thread allocations to say, okay, the proof of history th- thread needs to be pinned to a single core with no threading. Um, uh, no, no, no hyper threading, you know, stuff like that. Um, it sounds and, like an uh, art. So anyway, Marco is really good at that. It is an art. It's absolutely yeah. an art. Yeah. It almost like reminds me of like it, the analogy that it comes to mind is like tuning an instrument to an extent. Which, I mean, I guess you kind of are. Just a very highly technical instrument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, okay. So so at what point in time did, like, so you were running a validator, you had a couple guys, like, when did, did like, Triton is an RPC service, but your your validator was something different. Like, which one came first? Or was this sort of birthed at the same time? No, no, uh, good question. So BlockLogic was first. Um, my block logic validator and, uh, you know, from even before testnet days. So it was after, uh, mainnet was up and running and, um, the, the load was getting to the point that labs, uh, was having, you know, they were staying really busy keeping the RPC nodes up. And <laughs> so, um, uh, so yeah, so block logic first and then Triton came along. Um, the origin there was the, um, we had obviously, we had noticed that the RPCs were struggling and then we made a proposal to Solana foundation to take over the mainnet RPCs and move them out of the cloud and move them onto bare metal. 
Um, and so that was how Triton was formed. Um, it was originally just three guys and six servers. Um, and, uh, which is also crazy to look back and think, you know, that, wow, you know, where we're at with Solana today, thousands of servers, amazing throughput, global scale. And the RPC stack started with six servers. Well, it's, it, it sounds like you guys sort of like took over another, like that was like sort of like a first step, to, uh, additional step towards decentralization, pulling those like RPCs away from labs and like taking this sort of external. And then like, obviously since then there's, there's a lot of competition in, uh, in that sort of RPC space. I mean, validators as well, yep. but um, yeah. I've seen your website, Triton.one. I've seen the the people you guys are running RPCs for, which like is pretty impressive. So like, it's cool to see that this started as you just randomly interested, pulling in a couple people, running a validator, starting Triton. And like, now you're like, I mean, I can't have a bias here. But according to you, the most reliable RPC provider um, on <laughs> there out there. Your words, not mine. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And uh, and, and we stand by that. We do feel really good about what we built. So yeah, and the um, the so the other stuff I wanted to talk about, and like I I don't always love talking about it, but like what was it the 20 was it 20 2022 like maybe january or february the first like big big deal fire drill i want to like you that was whenever like things got knocked over um all the uh what do you call them the the liquidation bots would not stop trying to liquidate and there was just like was a very dark time in our lives, but like that will, I was in the discord doing nothing by the way, except watching, <laughs> like probably drinking like a beer being like, holy shit, what the hell's going on here? And like, that was my first experience watching like a real time, like fire drill, like get like resolved. And like, it was pretty incredible to watch. Like, what's that? What's that like? Like, or what was that first one like? I mean, I know it happened a long time ago before that, but I think this was different mm -hmm. because we spent yeah. 2021 in a really good position, and like all of a sudden, something that wasn't handled was happened and like knocked everything over. And then like you guys have had to figure out. I think the process has got streamlined since, but that was like, mm -hmm. holy shit, guys, what are we gonna do? Yeah. Yeah. And every one of those has been different. So I, I, if, if I were to characterize any of the restarts, it's just that they're all different and it, it's hard to have a playbook. Um, as validators, we've talked about, you know, how do we, um, you know, how can we have a standard playbook, uh, for doing a recovery like this? And at the end of the day, it, it's hard to have a standard playbook. So we just need to basic, basically then just focus on principles of saying, okay, where are we going to meet to discuss this? That's Discord. Um, and uh, how do we, you know, how do we identify the root cause of the problem? That usually means bringing in labs because they wrote the software. And uh, so then bring in uh, labs will be there. The validators will be there. Um, start just discussing solutions. It absolutely looks like sausage being made. I know on Discord, <laughs> it's nuts. You know, most people are just sitting there with popcorn. 
uh, popcorn and beer, just watching people debate and argue. And yeah, but then finally we figure it out, right? We we end up to with the solution that that makes sense for that particular event. Um, never fun, especially in a twenty four seven environment. You know, right? When it goes down, there is always somebody in bed. Um, so we're, you know, you have to wake people up. Um, those of us that are awake are going to have a really long day. Um, lots of 24 hour days, um, for our team, happily, we have people spread around the globe. Uh, so, um, we can use that to our advantage. And then in a really long restart, we'd have people kind of basically saying, we would say, okay, you go take a nap right now. You know, so depending on where they're at in the world, if it's nighttime, Go take a nap and get some rest because you need to be up and fresh so that the next set of guys can go to bed <laughs> and get yeah. a nap and then they can be fresh for the next set. So, um, yeah, so we would, you know, just try to manage it that way. Of course, you know, pager duty, calling people, getting them to come in um, and uh, and get servers online. Yeah, I like to, I like, like I said, I think it's always useful to sort of address the past. Like luckily and knock on wood, like things have been really great lately. I think um, it's not said enough that sort of validator community is like some of the unsung heroes of the ecosystem. Like it's like, it's 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 not just a, a compliment for the sake of complimenting somebody. It's like without all of that shit, we wouldn't be where we are right now. Um, I've seen people step up and like just take the lead all their own and like all of a sudden like labs engineers are on the side and like i mean they're always there but i've seen mm -hmm. like yep. validator community just step up and just like start coordinating this uh, a lot of people i've seen on on the internet talk about uh oh it's centralized because you're in discord and uh i think what does what does totally say about that coordination is like um like it it's it's you can still be decentralized even though you can coordinate that doesn't make any sense to like it's not like a mutually exclusive right. thing so yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah come on i mean <laughs> how else are we supposed to do this we don't have to we <laughs> don't do have expect? to not be able to talk yeah. like it can still be decentralized <laughs> or whatever but yeah it, yeah it's yeah, yeah. It's uh, definitely the coordination there and uh, getting everybody to bring, you know, the cluster up um, uh, with the correct version of the software. Um, I mean, what's the hardest of part of it? What... Solana... Yeah, go ahead. No, go for go it. Ahead. No, go for it, Brian. All you. I was going to say each of those events, though, has made Solana better, right? Because we always learned, we always adapted, we built better software. Um, I forgot which event it was in, in sequence, but there was one of those where it was all the NFT bots that were going crazy. Right. Yeah. And, um, to the point that, you know, we had a hundred gigabits of traffic inbound to the validators when it was their turn to be a leader, but we're talking 10 gig ports on these machines. There was absolutely no way any computer could stay online. Forget it. Right. I don't care what blockchain it is. It's going down. And um, so, you know, and so that was uh, where we had to stop and say, okay, how do we bring this thing back up? Because those bots were still running. So we couldn't just bring it right back up and expect a different outcome, right? Yeah. We're going to bring it, it back go up right back down again. Over. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so that one took some coordination. Uh, that even took Metaplex getting involved because they had to um, create an upgrade to Candy Machine. And, I remember. Uh, so, 
yeah, basically we kind of coordinated them getting candy machine fixed along with some fixes on the validator software and then kind of bring them up together. Um, of course, the cluster had to come up first before they could upgrade the program. Um, but there was, you know, we, we ended up with uh, something that kind of worked. It was not perfect, but it worked and we got better is the point. Um, and uh, yeah, so every single one of these, you know, Salon has gotten stronger. Uh, we introduced Quick uh, as a result, um, fixed a lot of bugs in the process and it's it's getting to be good. Yeah, I re I've talked about this before and I think I even maybe talked about it with Tolio um, on a previous episode of the show and it, it was just like, that like quick and all those things that that took it took like a while before people could even figure out why that was happening like actually technically before the quick and the fee markets and everything else was proposed and then the implementation took even longer and people were like what the hell's going on and all that time the network was performing like shit for and it was like a very it was a dark time, I think, for <laughs> everybody. The the applications, the validators, the RPC, the people that worked on the core protocol, like everybody <laughs> that was rooting for Solana to like succeed. It was just like every day. Sometimes it would be a sh like a small mint that would be enough to just like not knock anything over, but it just it made it um, not usable at the time, and it was horrible, and, and we got blasted. But like you said, like. It made the validators, the code base, everything else resilient. It also made the people that stuck around here just as like participants in the ecosystem resilient because we've been through hell and back in terms of like supporting um, an ecosystem. Yet here we are still here um, and better than ever before, but hopefully we continue to get better from there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so on the infrastructure side, we've definitely gotten a lot better. Um, the devs on Solana have gotten better as well. Uh, they've learned how to write more efficient code. And um, so that, you know, those NFT mints don't really hurt anymore, right? Because uh, the, the code has just gotten better. Uh, the user interfaces and front ends have gotten a lot better as well. Um, and, you know, so they were learning to write the software at the same time we were all learning how to, to run it and uh, keep it running smoothly. So I uh, certainly need to give credit to all the Solana devs to, um, you know, for what they're doing to better understand how the backend works, why get program accounts is a very heavy call, uh, when you should use it, when you shouldn't. Um, you know, they're getting a lot better at their art as well. And, um, and that's good. Well, then you have other people building abstractions and indexers who like actions, which makes the DAP devs not actually even have to worry about that because you have these new tool sets that do it for you that it are written is. efficiently that work directly with validators and RPC servers to improve that stuff. So it just over time, just just like any piece of software, like it's the version you just get better and better and better. So mm -hmm. um, yep. I think everybody in the past like six months again, knock on wood, has been very happy with, with the way that things have been going. Um, and um, it's it's been like awesome to watch. I did want to like reserve some time, if you want to, to briefly talk about some things that you've been working on. Um, if that, uh, I know you have like a series of things that are named after like mountains or something <laughs> that we've talked about. <laughs> Is that if that's something you want to talk about um, on the show, like sort of like high level? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. There, there's one project in particular um, that I, I think is of great interest to the community and um, and devs, you know, so your, your core audience of devs, uh, this is also really important. And, um, but you were talking about our project Yellowstone um, and uh, Yellowstone, we do have a series of projects underneath that umbrella. Um, we named Yellowstone after Yellowstone National Park because that's where all the geysers are. And the technology that we're using is all built on Solana's geyser uh, feature for streaming data. And uh, so um, underneath that umbrella, there's one project that we call Old Faithful. And Old Faithful solves a problem that basically everybody in the ecosystem is bumped into if they want to run their RPC node, their own RPCs. And the problem is that they can spin up an RPC node, but they do not have access to the full block history. So they can't go back to Genesis and make queries. That's a problem, right? This is a blockchain. We need to fix that. And the, the current solution is to that all the block history is contained in Google Bigtable. Um, there are multiple people with Bigtable instances, uh, so it's not like everybody's using the same instance. But nonetheless, it means that there's gatekeepers, um, and if you want to get access to the full history, you have to go through a gatekeeper. Um, again, that's a problem for a blockchain. We, you know, we don't want that. Uh, we're one of the gatekeepers, and we don't want it, right? Right. Um, so uh, the so we started Old Faithful with the goal to take the entire Solana blockchain history and mount it onto distributed storage. Uh, we're using Filecoin is the first uh, platform that we're loading the data into. Um, so, it, I mean, it's an awesome project because now we've got two layer ones. We've got the Solana and Filecoin working together um, in a common interest to solve a major problem uh, for the ecosystem. And um, so right now, as, as, we, as we speak, we're loading data. Uh, later this year, we'll have the project done. And uh, then it will be possible for somebody in the ecosystem to bring up a Solana RPC node and have access to the full history. Yeah. I want to ask sort of like an ignorant-ish question to you because like we know the way that the Solana is designed is that like you don't have to be able to see the full history since Genesis to guarantee right. that transactions, like that everything is legit beyond that because of just the way the design was set up because like every hash is unique. And, and uh, again, I'm going to speak like non-technically that like based on that hash, you can guarantee um, that this is like, that nothing's been altered or changed along the way there. But like what, mm -hmm. like, I can guess as to, I mean, I think the, it's an obvious, this needs to change, but I think the question is like, what is the greater impact of this being more accessible to more people without gatekeepers to those sort of, I, we're talking about archival nodes here, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's for anybody who wants the transaction history. If you're looking at your account and you want to be able to go look at, um, you know, your history of transactions all the way back to, to when you started your account, that requires access to the archive. The uh, typical RPC node or typical validator node will store one to two days of data. Um, 
even the data for a full epoch is a bit much for a server. And um, the uh, so it gets moved from local storage into the archive relatively quickly. And um, so so that's why is that, you know, if you want access to history um, that, you know, y- you would need to have access to, to that archive. I could see needing access if I like wanted to do my crypto taxes and I could only get two days worth of data so i see like i mean that's just one like sort of silly i mean i wouldn't call it silly example pay your crypto taxes everybody um the uh (laughs) but uh, so yeah i just wanted to pose the question to you just because like again we can guarantee that even without that like that the um the blocks are being produced and you can guarantee that there's been nothing changed or altered but access to the full history can have some very important use cases for who knows. I I don't even want to name any because like the 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 cases for that are probably unlimited. Um, assuming we yeah get a yeah yep yeah yeah you're you're totally right there that you know for somebody who only needs current count state um, arb bots for example NFT mints um, they only need the current state they don't need history to do what they're going to do and um, the uh, so it is possible today for somebody running an R bot to um, to bring up their own RPC node and they'll be just fine without the history. Um, but if you're a wallet uh, or any uh, you know data analysis platform, anybody who wants to do uh, statistical reporting, things like that, yeah, they they need the history. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I've opened wallets in the past and been like, "Where the hell was the rest of my transactions?" Like, I know I did some right. in the past, like, thirty days, but where where are they? So, but, yep. but like you said, this is it's a lot of data, um, and it, it's got to be stored somewhere, and anybody should be able to access access that without having somebody like gatekeeping that. So, so it's a pretty yeah. cool thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's truly a community-led effort. Um, we're leading it. Solana Foundation provided a grant. Filecoin, um, uh, Protocol Labs, they also provided a grant in storage. Um, Richard Patel um, was uh, also a very early contributor to what we're doing. Uh, many people know Richard Patel, who's uh, now with uh, Jump Crypto, working on Fire Dancer. And um, so he and Linus, our co-founder, had spent some time talking a year and a half ago, um, at least a year and a half ago, about how to fix this problem. And so, yeah, so we've had a lot of great contributions coming in uh, from all over the ecosystem. This is not a project that Triton owns. You know, it, it's our goal to, to give it to the ecosystem and solve You're just this facilitating problem. it and getting it off the ground and like with the ultimate goal of not owning it. And like this is sort of just this big open thing that that is just owned yeah. by the community, which like I think is, I mean, always the right way to do things. Uh, but yeah, it's not yeah, always feasible yeah. for it's not always feasible. But anyways, so that's a good segue. Um, we don't have a ton of time left, but I do want to get your thoughts on um, just high-level thoughts on the impact of Fire Dancer for you, or maybe how it makes your life a living hell for a while as you try to figure out how to run it. Will will that challenge you technically um, in your team technically, or do you think it's that's sort of like a non-issue? Uh, what do you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I okay. A lot of speculation here. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, and uh, But I, here's how I think it's going to go down. Um, they've done a good job, they being Fire Dancer, have done a good job working with labs to kind of carve out the modules inside the Solana Validator software. So drawing out points of demarcation and then building a consistent interface to that so that Fire Dancer could build a networking module that should just automatically plug in and play well with the rest of the Solana Lab software. So the way that this will roll out is it will be modular. We'll start first with a Fire Dancer networking piece, and then that will expand into other pieces until finally, you know, it might be 100% Fire Dancer. Um, but running that hybrid mode um, should be just fine. And um, so um, I don't, you know, there's always going to be edges. There's always going to be bugs. Stuff is going to come up. Um, but, you know, based on what we've seen for the quality of the code that, uh, that is Fire Dancer, um, it'll be about as smooth as it could be. I'll put my, um, I'll put my money into um, yeah. Kevin Bowers and uh, Richard Patel. I think yeah. uh, that's a safe bet to make um, on those giant yep. brains. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, yeah, they're doing an amazing job. So um, there, there's also this conversation or topic that comes up around that, like, ooh, the, it's going to be so efficient that we could run Solana on a Raspberry Pi. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no. <laughs> um, I'm in a different camp, and uh, I'm in a much different camp. I do not want to run Solana on slower hardware. I always want to run Solana on the fastest hardware possible so that we can crank up the TPS. And because um, we don't want to be where we're at today forever, right? We've got a trajectory where we want to go 50,000 transactions per second or better. And we're not going to do that on a Raspberry Pi sitting in somebody's basement. Um, you know, it's going to take high quality hardware in professional data centers. And that that's how we we reach our goals. Well, well, the thing is, is I think there's, I see a lot of like conflating sometimes when people say, well, Solana is only at uh, 4,000 transactions a second. And I think the misunderstanding for people who don't actually know anything about this stuff is that like, that's because there are only 4,000 transactions happening. That number could go higher, mm -hmm. assuming demand for mm -hmm. block space went higher. I don't know what that could go on mainnet. I know testnet. Um, gets up into the hundred thousand range, um, as far as I understand mm -hmm. it, like quite high. Yeah. But yeah. like, I don't know if the testnet tests are actually touching all these sort of complex DeFi transactions. So I don't think we actually even have an idea what this looks like, assuming complex transactions on mainnet, because like obviously the demand's not there right now. So I don't know where we would land. I'm assuming it's over ten thousand, probably over twenty thousand, but. That's my own speculation. I just, ha I have no idea. I don't know if anybody really truly knows the exact number. Yeah, we can get there. Uh, and the software is written in a way where the software, you know, can expand the number of banking threads uh, that we use on the validators can be expanded. Um, everything can be expanded. And uh, so the current settings are appropriate for the current validator set and the current hardware that most people are running. Um, but given faster hardware and given better software, we can crank that. We can turn that dial and uh, and the capacity goes up. So um, it's this is not a static blockchain where you're only going to get 
you know, a certain TPS forever. Um, that that's just, you know, that's not reality. The fact well, of we max is out at the speed of light though, at least that I'm we do like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're good point. Fair point. I'll give you that one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, it's, it's exciting, man. It's, it's uh, like, I love hearing the origin stories about like how you got your start, just generally drifting into a, a Solana discord and, and pulling somebody from an old company then pulling in somebody else who was also equally as smart, Triton, um, your your validator, and then just the validator community solving problems alongside core protocol developers. And now we hear, like you said, we got thousands of develop, we got thousands of validators out there validating nodes, everything's like at at the very least, at the very minimum, we're in an upward trajectory. Um, and like that's just like minimum, but because I don't want to get overzealous yeah. here, is that at a minimum we are at an incline in terms of technology and understanding and getting better. So, and that's really all you can yeah. ask for. So it might look a little more like yep. hockey stickish, but I'll just sort of say it's like this. <laughs> yeah, we're we're heading in the right direction. Well, Brian Long. Really appreciate having you on the call. You are the first non like official like developer on on the show. I wanted to give some love to the validator community and also like when I say like circling back to the beginning, like chewing glass, it's mentally chewing glass. You don't have to be a Rust coder to be doing that. Like solving so solving hard problems sometimes just means really deep thinking about how to fix some really hard shit. And I think the validators are doing that, even if they're not sitting there writing Rust code. Um, that's not like there's a million ways that that you can solve hard hard problems, and it's not always just writing code. We all know how hard, hell of a life a DevOps person is, at least like from the horror stories I've heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is a thankless job. You, you hear from people when you're doing something wrong, and you never hear from them when you're doing something right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, hey man, thanks for hopping on the show. It was amazing to have you here. Um, and I don't know the next time I see you, hopefully I'll see you at Breakpoint. Yeah, for sure. Yep, yep. I uh, hope to see you there. Thanks, Chase.